welcome to Creative Conversations with me, Paula McGurdy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I can hardly believe this is season two, episode three, no less. Um, if you haven't already listened to the conversations in season one, I urge you to go and have a listen because the artists that I've spoken to are just incredible. Um, uh, artists and creatives, so go have a listen. Today I'm speaking to Renee Mullen, who is a Belfast-based printmaker, and Renee's current works is predominantly on Irish linen, of which she is a big fan, and her work is so colourful and playful, and I think you'll really love it. And we speak a lot about how she got into the arts coming from a business background, which I'm sure will be interesting to many of you who haven't trained necessarily in the arts, but are coming from different backgrounds. Um, and her wealth of knowledge over that is fantastic. So I hope you'll really enjoy this. If you do like these series, please, please, please go and share and follow and like and subscribe, all of the things. And um, because obviously the more reach that these have, the more it gives and um, the artists who are giving their time to speak to me um, more of a, more of a coverage, I guess, you know, and that's what these are all about. So please go and share and like and subscribe. Um, and I love engagement. So if you do want to chat a bit more about any of the conversations, I'm always open to that. I do hope you enjoy today. And as I said, there's other ones in season one that you can always go and have a listen to as well. Enjoy. Hi, Renee, how are you? Hi, Paula, I'm really good, how are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you in uh, virtual life, you know. Yes, it's our lives now, isn't it? This is isn't it just? Yeah. Haven't met any since March. Oh, I know. It's all kind of bizarre, isn't it? Totally. And uh, well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining me today, and I look forward to getting to know a bit more about your process. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be asked. It's lovely. Yeah. I really enjoy what you're doing. And I think it's really nice just to talk to people and you know hear what's happening so yeah no it's good hopefully people are interested I don't know <laughs> oh they definitely will I think it's always good to have a kind of a broad range of what people do and about different creatives and and um so yeah so it's not just painters I, we've had various different people on so I think it's great to have a, a broad range so yeah, yeah. So I guess I always start, Renee, with um, the whys and the hows of how people started, how they got into what they're doing. Um, so would you like to give us a bit of background about how you got into creativity and where that started for you? Um, yeah, I think I was always um, creative. I think I, you know, I, yeah, I demanded a redecoration of my bedroom when I was very young. You know, I aesthetically I was always very kind of aware and tuned into how things um look and feel and how I feel in you know environments and being able to pick up a paintbrush going to school on painting days was the most mm. exciting day for me at primary school and um but then I in my kind of secondary level education there was no art department in the school I ended up in um, there was this thing called CDT craft design technology um, and there we made things like ashtrays for our parents you know so. <laughs> yeah, mine didn't at that stage but you know most people's did um, 
so yeah, I I like making things, and so I spent, um, you know, I spent time at school doing those things, and then at home I wanted to do more of that. I remember making my mom kind of write lists for things that you know don't just buy me Christmas presents, buy me the things I want, like candle making kits, and you know, mm. really into making things. Um, but there's no formal art education, and to be honest, there was no art knowledge in our home there was no one in the house that was you know interested in art or knew anything about it I didn't actually even know that art schools existed as a child growing up I didn't know it was a thing and I had zero exposure Um, and then I went to Edinburgh to do a business related uh, management degree and I was already going out with my now husband then boyfriend and he was at Edinburgh College of Art and doing architecture landscape architecture and I went there a lot with him and I remember standing in the atrium of Edinburgh College of Art and just thinking oh my god why did no one tell me this place existed you know um 10 years ago or how did I not know about this stuff Mm. I remember just standing there looking at people and thinking you are May I want to be you, you know, I, I don't want to carry a briefcase and yeah. yeah. You know, um so I started going there um and doing courses and classes and I did this is all in the um mid nineties and um and I and hanging out with him and his friends and going to the clubs they were going to and you know just having a, a art school experience but going to the the business school for or Queen Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh um, for the degree Um, and I suppose now looking back at the time I didn't really enjoy my degree and just wanted to be doing creative things and I was doing screen printing and pottery classes in the evening and ceramics and things at the weekends and going to summer workshops and you know exposing myself and teaching myself about exposing myself to art (laughs) (laughs) Um, about creativity you know just through the people that I was mixing with um but I didn't really particularly enjoy going to my own course but I realized look you're in it now you have to finish this and you know but now when I look back on all of that I really can see that the business side of things was you know it, it was already in me to understand that I need to manage money well um to understand economics and how you know it works within a, a kind of governed system and um you know how to how to manage um a, a lifestyle that has fluctuating income um mm-hmm. so it has been very very beneficial to have that in my back pocket but i absolutely don't, you know in no way at all enjoy politics or um business and economics and finance um the way I enjoy creative a creative life but I but I understand mm. so you know I'm kind of I'm ha- in a happy enough medium there mm. sounds like you have a bit of uh the best of both worlds you know because I think people come out of our college without any of that you know and if you are doing that course but then doing other courses creative courses along the way um it's so valuable isn't it for artists to have that background yeah so now i look at other artists and makers and i've done quite a few talks over the years over the last few years while i've been living here um through people like craft and i and 
create Innovate Arma and different organizations like that who try to help their creative communities. Um, mm -hmm. So I've done some talks on things like, um, you know, how to price your work, how to, uh, uh, you know, how to become a seller, how, you know, how to wholesale your work, how to sell to retailers, um, you know, all of those kind of um, what I now see are basics and that people should be making in an art sale, but they're not. Um, mm. I mean, you know, if you <laughs> ask an artist in year one of being an artist post post grad, you know, graduating, how, do they know mm. anything about tax return? They have not got a clue. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's a fundamental. If you're mm. going to be an independent um, person in any career, you know, if you want to be freelance or, you know, you're not going to be an employee. You need to know this stuff. So um, the art schools possibly, you know, are moving that way, that they're including that kind of thing in their offering. I think there maybe are modules now. I'm not teaching on any of them, but I'd be more than happy to. Um, but they, I think that they don't want also to hinder any creativity with the reality of, um, you know, the numbers. And that's the that kind of innocence of create, creating. Um, is the thing that I missed mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know that there were no rules and I only realized within the last kind of eight or nine years that there there are no rules there there are no rules about what I do how I make things what I make who I make them for what I you know how I make them um why I do it there are no rules so mm. I didn't I didn't go to art school, and I think that's the thing that you learn at art school is that there are there are no rules. There are principles, mm. there's disciplines, and there are techniques, but um, how you interpret that and what you come up with is entirely up to you, and that's what makes you, uh, you know, an artist. And mm. um, I, I I was unaware of that, and I think that's because my mind was all about rules, and um, business is all about rules, and you know, mm. um, and sticking to them and doing things correctly, and you know setting up systems mm. being organized and all those things so um so I, I suppose maybe some people think I have the best of both worlds I feel like I, I felt for a long time like I'd wasted some time you know mm. of time about 10 years of uh you know kind of grappling around trying to work out what was I interested in what did I want to do how did I want to apply myself choosing between ceramics and print as well you know kind of do, do you want to go down the print route um, or would you prefer to, you know, ceramics and print were the primary interests for me. Um, I also enjoy silversmithing a bit, um, but not, mm. not make a career of it. Um, well, when I say a career of it, um, you know, I, I'm very happy to do not the same thing all the time. And I think that should be encouraged more as well. Um, you know, that it's okay to go between disciplines and, um, it's okay to um, join things together in ways that you know aren't um, standard. They're not normally done, or you know, it's not it's not regular, and you can go mm. area to another quite happily. So, um, you know, I'm I'm all for the interdisciplinary kind of aspect of creativity as well, and the way that I work it within the landscape architecture aspect of our business here. Um, you know, I, I get to do that as well. I get to look at structure and form and sculpture and, you know, um, environment uh, and mm. work, 
creatively as well as working on actual printmaking and mm. things. Wow. So there's so much there, I guess, isn't there really, you know? Um, I think, yeah, what you said about uh, no rules and for artists, I think that is so key, isn't it? And for art college, it's completely like that. And I guess you can tell from, as you said, like you would go to the art college with your like now husband, but, uh, you know, and be in that space and around those people and think, that they're the kind of people that I want to hang out with because it's a certain scene, I guess, isn't it? You know, but I think in our college, there's great freedom in 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 being in our college as well, like just being told to go and make and being given a certain set of, of format in some kind of way, but it's very loose and, you know, it's, it's maybe a small brief, but you're just given a space and told go and do it, you know, and there is great freedom in that really, you know. Yeah. I think I think um, you know as a place it is it is quite unique. Um, you know it is a massive financial center. Um, mm. in London, I think it's the biggest financial center in the UK. So it is full of briefcases and you know pinstripe suits and there's a lot of big fund houses there and uh, fund managers and that kind of thing. But they all kind of live and breathe culture and the arts and um, mm. work and they work hard. And then they go out in the evening to the theatre, they go to the galleries, they go to the independent shops, they go to independent retailers, the artisan food places. Um, so Edinburgh had this kind of, um, in my mind at that stage, and again, this is 90s, you know, early 2000s, mid 90s, right through then. Um, it had that kind of... Uh, you know, utopian kind of scenario where the artists were well looked after because mm. I might to see their shows, people were buying their work, um, people were, you know, doing the what I see as the kind of more mundane aspect job during the day and then having all the fun after that and happy mm. to invest their huge amounts of money in that. Um, and I had this this art school amongst all of that which was just you know you, you walk down the street in the morning to go to the art school or you know on a Saturday even and see people who are you know harangued on their way to the office and then mm. you get in there and it's just this place full of color and mess it was a mess you know there was mm. you know there was paint everywhere tape on the walls art the art school here and art schools are moving away from that mm. the schools aren't um, like that anymore. I mean, I have this space here where we do all our, you know, work um, office, mm. but I also have a studio um, at the back of my house here, mm. um, which is, you know, it's where the paint gets dropped on the floor and, you know, there's pin boards with things stuck on them. And I don't have any Wi Fi in there, so I, I can't have, you know, this conversation in there. Um, yeah. But I don't have Wi Fi in there for because I want to be there. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I think Edinburgh was a kind of um, a perfect place for me to go and to have that kind of um, uh, enlightenment, let's call it. Mm, yeah. And how, you know, there, there can be a community of nurturing appreciators of um, what the artists are doing. Mm. Both creative industries and the cultural scene was very much the lifeblood of Edinburgh, really. Um, mm. 
without all of that, and I think they're experiencing that at the minute with galleries mm -hmm. and theaters being closed with the pandemic. Um, without all of that, it's a very different place. Like this is the first time ever in its history that the the Edinburgh Festival hasn't happened. Um, mm. So it's you know it's being in the right location, and my mm. is called placed um, very much because I felt displaced or misplaced for a long time physically and you know kind of in terms of what I was doing um and just to be in the right environment I think and be somewhere where you can create and where that what you what you're creating and how you're working is um supported by mm. you know community is really really important to me mm. that said then Renee can you I mean because some people might be watching this and and not know um, much about your work can you describe your work to people um, yeah, it's kind of, um, it has evolved. So initially, I was printing things that I, you know, designs that I might scribble, you know, or draw or kind of very graphic black line edge drawing. Um, and, and just you know all of that but also the whole placed environment the whole idea of place and identity and all of those things was coming through my work and when we lived in Edinburgh and I was first starting to kind of make work if you like um I was obsessed with Ireland and um mm. and how much I was missing by not being there and how much I have missed by having this warped education system here in the north where we where I grew up um not knowing the language and so I decided to incorporate some Irish language into my work so that I could try and learn it. And I didn't put any pressure on myself to learn it to be fluent. I just wanted to be familiar with words that I could teach my kids, like please and thank you, all these kind of things. And so I just started grow, you know, I started really basic um interpretations of the language in a graphic form with within printmaking and screen mm. um and i made lots of prints and they they were people got in touch with me so they are i sold them on etsy at the beginning mm. and the irish design shop found me through etsy laura and claire um, and they contacted me around about then, like 2009, 2010. They were early on in having a store. Um, mm. it was, and they were in at the state, that stage. And they bought a few of my prints and sold them in their shop. And, and then they asked me to be one of six designers for the year of craft, which I think was in 2011. Um, they asked me to be one of six designers that they had chosen to design a mug. Um, and then they produced the mugs and sold the mugs. And that was the first time that I had kind of had anyone um, commission me or invite me to produce something specifically for them with a brief. Mm. And that I wasn't kind of free to, you know, that I was free to design whatever I want, but it was for a purpose. Um, so I'd never really had that experience before. And that was a real eye opener to me that, you know, okay, people like my work. This is okay. And I think you need that at some stage um, when you're a creative or an artist. Um, at some point, someone needs to say, this is good or, you know, that's clever or that's nice or I really like that. And and I would like to see more of that in, in whatever mm -hmm. way you do that. And maybe that's just... Validation, isn't it? Really, yeah. 
totally. Mm. Um, so yeah, and then I got, uh, over the years, I've just become more um, open to designing or drawing or printing um, whatever I feel like, rather mm. than kind of having to think about the language and all of those things. So it's it's evolving um, that I do still incorporate Irish language into my work, and I will always, um, but not not every piece. Whereas before, mm. it was coming a little bit um, like a requirement. Oh, she's the girl that does the, you know, and then mm. selling in lots of shops and gallery shops, and um, and then I produced a book, but uh, Blackstaff Press. I did a poster, an Irish alphabet. There hadn't been one done since the 1970s. Wow. It's back there. Ah. Um, and, yeah, so I illustrated an Irish alphabet, which is 18 letters, um, and it then became a book, Blackstaff Press. I showed them the alphabet on the poster, and they said, yeah, we'd love to make it into a book, and they got funding from the Arts Council here in the north, and... Um, they commissioned me and they paid, you know, they paid me in advance and, you know, it's mm. exciting. Um, yeah. And I made the poster into a book and they printed 4,000 copies and I think nearly all 4,000 copies have sold. Um, yeah. And yeah, so, and it still sells. Jam Art Factory in Dublin um, have it, I know for sure. And then the other shops I've gone into, you know, Eason's and, Gutter Bookshop and you know when I'm in Dublin and and other shops there's a shop in Sligo that has it a friend of mine took a photo of it you know and you know people are still selling it so um, yeah it's really that was another big moment I suppose um but yeah so I suppose what I don't know how to describe my work because it's not one thing or another you know we're Mm. poster there's a book there's wrapping paper there's um, textiles, you know, there's printing mm. that then becomes things that, you know, cushions and tea towels and, you know, there's lots of, um, you know, but then there's pieces that go on the wall that, you know, mm. drive as fine art printmaking if you wanted to. Mm. I wouldn't ever really want to be boxed into yeah. what I do. So, yeah. Um, and, I, and, you know, I'm really happy to be invited to work on commissions. And I've done a couple of, I've been commissioned to do a couple of installations, permanent installations over the years. There was um, Rear Red in Tala um, mm. Cafe, have a cafe. And they asked me to design kind of panels for their cafe to split up the seating. Um, mm. so, textile panels of one of my existing designs and they then took that design and ran it through the whole cafe did their t-shirts and everything had it on it and it's not there now it was there for six years okay I was gonna say I'm trying to remember because I was there well I was there gosh maybe six before before lockdown I guess you know I was there but um I was like for about two years I think okay yeah yeah wow how incredible um, yeah, and then uh, there's an office over in Belfast, like a big shared office space called If, um, mm. or in sorry West Belfast, and um, on the Springfield Road, and they asked me to 
do an installation for their reception area. Um, so I took, at that time, I was working on an exhibition um, for a gallery here, which was called Linen Song. And I took lots of songs that um, uh, Millies and people that worked in the linen mills sang while they were at work. Um, so there are, there's a whole book of songs that uh, people working in the linen industry sang. A lot of them are mm. Irish traditional songs now. They're recognised as that, but um, they are directly related to the linen industry. Um, mm. Kind of illustrated on perspex. I, I printed on directly onto perspex panels and made an installation of a song about the Springfield Road that this um, shared office space is on. Um, for their reception area and um, they had commissioned me to do something and I really enjoyed that project and I enjoyed printing on Perspex. Um, mm. Not a sustainable at all product to mm. and a, a world away from linen. Um, mm. A really nice contemporary interpretation of the song and you know the heritage of the site mm. and um, yeah so things like that are more exciting to me now than um, than ever I had imagined I would be doing, you know, mm. when contact me and ask me to work on something, that's um, that's really, really lovely. And to be able to realize a project for someone and see them at a briefing, you know, when you go and show them your first concept designs or whatever, and, and they're excited by it, it's just mm. really, so I particularly enjoy doing that kind of thing. Um, but my my favorite thing to do is be in the studio and doing you know anything involving anything <laughs> yes anything creative so do you have a process then Renee of where you start do you get into the studio every day or how does that work for you no, definitely not every day and I have advocated seasonal working before and I don't want to kind of give the impression that I do this I don't but I do think that it is a uh, it's a kind of a loose structure to the year, um, mm. in a year, not this year, obviously. Um, mm. Early part of the year is is for me ideas and um, and designs and concepts, and then that kind of spring coming into summer period is a really good time to actually be making things. Mm. And then kind of late August to October is just trying to sell them. Um, mm. And then Christmas is more about um, looking back and, you know, over the year and seeing what worked and what didn't work and start to think about next year um, mm. and, and being out there selling things, you know, turning up at the fairs and turning up at events and, you know, joining in with collaborative events and things that are trying to, you know, get more exposure for your work. Um, mm. So that has kind of been a loose, very loose, because there's curveballs that come in all the time. Yeah. And, you know, no more bigger curveball this year than the pandemic. So, mm. um, and then I, one of my parents got very sick this year and passed away and um, mm. things that will come up when you can't have a structure that is so rigid that, you know, you decide then, oh, I missed, I missed my making period because of that. We'll just get making that kind of thing. So um yeah so there's no and then my day-to-day -day, I have three kids so you know no two days are the same as you yeah know. yeah um 
And but yeah, it's, I mean, we get up in the morning and we do the whole coffee and breakfast and lunch making and all that kind of stuff. And then we, um, I'm walking dogs and looking after kittens and all that kind of thing. And and then we come in here usually first. Into mm. this. And I mean, before I cleaned and cleared it out and painted it, which is very recent, um, I, I came in and then immediately wanted to turn around and walk back out again because it was just overwhelming the amount of paperwork that we've accrued over the years. Um, so I, would, I was getting to the stage with the this business that you know it, it was um I wasn't enjoying going to work um mm. our main bread and butter you know this is well for me this is the main bread and butter this is Pete's kind of career if you like um mm. so I had to make the space work better for us but we're 20 years in business this year as well and I suppose with the passing away of a parent and and just the pandemic and all of that kind of stuff, we've decided that we have to start celebrating things like that. Like Pete and I are not good at celebrating stuff. You know, mm. we, we are not champagne poppers at every, you know, things have happened that are, when you look back, like the book, for example, you know, yeah, fantastic. And, you know, other people might be opening champagne and stuff. I just went and picked up the book from the publisher, brought a few Copies home. I think we might have gone to the pub and had a Guinness or something um, that day. There's no big woohoo, you know. There's no fanfare, yeah. I did do a book launch, um, you know, but that was kind of a selling event, if you like. You know, it didn't yeah. Um So we've decided this year that, you know, things should be celebrated. So this year we're 20 years in business with that business, um, with one design associates is what we were called we're just mullen landscape architecture from now going forward so we're doing a new branding i'm doing all of this um and a new website and we've commissioned a photographer to go and take pictures of our sites and all that kind of stuff so and that work is much more enjoyable now to be doing in a clean tidy uncluttered space um mm. and it's still very much design orientated so i'm totally into it and really enjoying it actually um mm ready in a couple of weeks um so I've been in here doing you know the kind of clear out but also doing that kind of thing a lot more than normal um mm. normally in this space um you know three or four mornings or afternoons in a week um and then uh I use my studio space probably three or four days a week um mm. I'm also a member of and a board member of the Belfast Print Workshop mm. um, so that's where I expose all my screens and clean all my screens and do all the kind of big mucky messy things because my space here is smaller and also because I print on linen um, I like to work in a relatively ma well managed clean space and I also like to not have to put everything away when I'm in the middle of something and when you're in a share mm. at the Belfast Print Workshop um, if I was down there doing the printmaking, I would have to tidy everything up, put it all away. Yeah. I might not be finished the piece. Um, and there's nowhere to put a piece of linen, you know, in a in a shared print studio to make sure it's mm. going to be the same condition as it was the last time you saw it. So mm. that's kind of what prompted me to make a studio here. Um, so I go down there to do the big stuff. Um, and I would maybe go in once every 
month, once every six weeks to clean screens and expose screens and that kind of thing. And then mm. I into my studio here, you know, three times a week or whatever. But it doesn't always happen. Um, mm. I'm working on something um, for a customer or for, a, you know, a shop or for an order or whatever, I could be in there for two weeks solid. Um, and it's great. It's right next to my kitchen. So I can go in and make the dinner and, you know, feed mm. the homework back in. You know, it, it it's good and it works really well. It's far too small. Mm not big enough you know I need a bigger space but um I'm happy enough with it where it is and how it is and how this yeah I guess it's convenience over size isn't it and I think when you've got a lot of things going on at home and family and all that kind of stuff a home studio can make all the difference in terms of it working I can't imagine having to go to the studio every day and then be doing the school pickups and all that kind of stuff. I just think it eats into so much time then that you have, you know, so I think there's a lot to be said for it really, you know? Yeah. it's a, <clears throat> I think people, you know, people with kids understand that, you know, they get it, that you have mm. to know of opportunity every day. And yeah. You know, if you want to go for a walk with your friend, you, you do that at the, you know, it's the opportunity cost the whole time. You know, you go for yeah. the friend at the opportunity, at, you know, at the cost of making a new piece of work or, mm. you know, or, or you yeah. do banks at the cost of making a new piece of work or whatever. But you yeah. have all within this very kind of structured school pickup or, you know, child mm. situation. Um, but I think after a few years, you just surrender to that. Um, yeah with it you do fight it a little bit at the start and feel hard yeah. that you don't get enough time to do your thing and stuff but um, I think you you kind of surrender to it and, and you're yeah. nearly out one of mine's 17 so oh wow okay yeah getting getting into the yeah the leaving a secondary school soon I guess you know yeah another all change yeah well will they be yeah. all I don't know a lot of the kids yeah. <laughs> this year and, and they might as well have stayed at home you know mm, yeah mm, so I don't know how things are going to evolve over the next few years I don't know but um mm. they'll I, I definitely won't be doing all their washing no that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> that's a given isn't it <laughs> So Renee, tell me about um because you're working a lot on linen at the moment and that's Irish linen that you use. Um and are they wall hangings that you do or what what format do they look like? Are they cushions? What led you into the linen side of things, I guess? Well, I've been working on linen now for um since about 2010. Mm. I first started moving away from paper and mm. delving a wee bit further into my family history as well. I didn't really know an awful lot about when we lived away in Edinburgh. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really appreciate that my grandfather, my mum's dad, um, they're from mm. Fort Hill in South Armagh, um, he grew linen and he worked with her. He grew, grew flax and harvested it and gave it to a, a you know, sold it to a local linen mill. Um, yeah, yeah. They, um, and he worked for other people who mm. all, um, did this and they all worked together as a community actually the flax growers and harvesters and that kind of thing so they went to each other's place and 
did that. Um, so I didn't actually know anything about that. I thought he was a taxi driver or a blacksmith or something. I didn't really know what he did. You know, it was just grander. Um, mm. And then I also discovered that my dad's mom was a millie in a North Belfast linen mill. Um, the millies are the, were the women that worked there. Um, mm. And did whatever, you know, they could have been daughters or whatever they did. I don't know what her role was in there. Um, but anyway, this kind of captured my attention a little bit in very recent years. But prior to that, linen just kind of, I was amazed when I came back to Ireland that there was no contemporary use of linen in anything. Was, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see linen. I could see linen tablecloths and tea towels and napkins and stuff, but they were so boring. And there were, you know, there was, there was no nothing contemporary about what was going on yeah um applied to them in any way they were just the same as they'd always been mm. um, being produced in the same way that they had always been produced beautiful you know um pristine and perfect and wonderfully made um but not uh not appealing to a younger market or a more designer mm. market. um i shouldn't have said younger um and so I decided to start using it and seeing if I could do things that made me want to use linen myself, mm -hmm. my, you know, design-aware life. Um, so I made myself some stuff and I made things that people wanted to buy and asked mm -hmm. and so I sold them to them. Um, mm -hmm. Napkins and, you know, beautifully made, you know, um, Irish linen napkins from um, flat. Uh, there's a few different places in the north. Um, well, Emblem Weavers in the south is fabulous. Um, flax mills up in Dungiven make the most amazing linen. Um, and that's mm. what they're printing those um, graphic designs onto. Um, and then um, Thomas Ferguson in Banbridge, who who are also part of the John England group. I'm not sure how that all knits together, but um, they're the three kind of places that I bought linen from to work on. Um, oh, and, and McNutts and Donegal as well. Um, mm. You know, I've I've been to them and I've seen them making the linen um, mm. and weaving and you know using their looms, whether they're mechanical or hand loomed. Um, and I appreciate the whole process and um, I just love the fact that it is, uh, you know, our a heritage product um, and, mm. it is, and um, it goes from, you know, seed to table um, here, you know, in Ireland. So um, that that is why I use Irish linen. Um, mm. Now, not all flax is grown here that is that then becomes Irish linen. A lot of mm. it. Um, Malin linen here in the north are the first people to kind of work linen right through from they started seeding it and growing it um, mm. a couple of years ago. And they're now harvesting and, um, you know, doing all the processes, scutching and, and beetling and all of those things and taking it right through to product. Um, so that's very exciting and they're really exciting people to watch. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I, at the minute, the work that I'm doing um, was exploratory and I was just trying things out um, and trying color, color on linen and how ink 
reacts to textile is very different to paper. So when you print on paper, the ink sits beautifully velvet, you know, it's like velvet on the, mm. on the page. Um, but when you print onto linen, the ink becomes, you know, very much part of the textile. So it's mm. different in a result. Um, so how that kind of feels and looks and is as a, um, as a piece of work, uh, either on a wall or as, a, you know, what becomes a product, if you like, um, mm. has been part of this exploration I've been doing over the last few months. Um, mm. So I'm really enjoying that. I haven't actually committed to how those pieces will um, be available, but mm. I'm almost there with it. Brilliant. I, I love the um the geometrics of it and I'm also I know what you mean by um when you print on paper it sits beautifully on it and um but with I guess with linen I'm I'm expecting for the reverse. Well I I haven't printed on linen, but I'm thinking from painting on canvas. If you don't like gesso, if you don't gesso it, the paint comes through on the reverse. So I'm imagining it will be the same on on the linen or does it go through on the other side it doesn't always it depends no, on the, okay um so the the darker colored linen the natural unbleached one that um, mm, i love it yeah of, that's the flax mills linen it doesn't come through it at all really okay um, it's a very tight weave um and it's also been through a process it hasn't been beetled because when when linen is beetled, it has a kind of sheen to it. That that particular um, batch doesn't have any sheen to it. So I'm not sure what that process is, and I'll need to look more into that because it sits really nicely on that. Paul, mm. um, uh, not Thomas Paul, he's a potter, the, but he also lives near Banbridge. Um, the Thomas Ferguson linen it does let the ink through. Um, so the reverse actually quite nice because it's a, a, just a muted version of the design on the front mm. but no there the won't be wall hangings i can tell you that mm. Um, mm. There, will, there will be options within what they are mm. um but yeah there it's i think if i wasn't learning and i wasn't <laughs> um if, you know discovering new things about how the ink works and I wouldn't feel nearly as excited about what I'm doing at the minute. Um, mm. so I'm enjoying that process and, you know, where that might uh, go. You know, do you use sketchbooks and stuff like that then, Renee? Do you work in sketchbooks a lot? Do a lot of um, testings and things? Um, I go through, I don't test in sketchbooks and I don't, use colour particularly in sketchbooks um, mm. a lot of the work I did early years is hand drawn with a black high pigment um, pen and I did draw into uh, sketchbooks for a long time and then realised that I was then having to scan the image so that I could put it onto the transparencies so that I could expose it onto a screen so then I just started drawing directly onto transparencies so I have like poster chips full of rolled up transparencies that I've used. Okay. Um, and, and some of the stuff is big, quite big scale. Like if you're printing on a tea towel or a piece of textile, you need something that's, you know, quite big. So um, the option there is to use paper and then to oil the paper to make it mm -hmm. transparent. 
um so that's what I do and I, I've see, I've kept all of those they're all mm. um so I, that's the kind of beginning process of any design that's going to be exposed onto a screen um mm. so there's two different kind of ways that I work one is to um work directly with the screen and no image pre-drawn so you can mask mm. your screen for you know and the current work that I'm doing I could expose those shapes and expose shapes onto a screen but I don't want to do that I want to keep working the way I am which is just masking off or using a paper cut stencil to make the shapes mm. um and that's really freeing and you know as the paper stencil um, erodes and kind of breaks down I have to take it off the screen and put on a new one and that just makes the work just continually be re you know reimagined um the the other way is to draw and then expose something onto a screen and then that's it that screen can be used for two years you know so mm. um and that's what I do generally when I'm working directly on a, a piece of design or something that will most likely become a product um mm. have to produce 20 uh, 200 or 300 prints of something um it, it needs to stay on screen you know yeah. so um so exposing images onto the screen you know it is more of a an investment um really i suppose um mm. you have to spend the time and the energy and the money doing that um, yeah. and, it's involves going down to the print workshop and you know um and having that facility here is fantastic i mean if i lived out in the middle of nowhere i don't know how i would cope without an exposure yeah. i would probably have to buy one um or travel in and out or whatever but um yes that's the process it's either drawing and then burning the image onto a screen or just free freely working with hand cut stencils mm. or masks or mm. You must have a huge amount of um, screens then as well, do you? Or do you use those from the studio? No, I do. I have about <laughs> 12 or 15 screens in varying sizes. And then mm. of the um, the mesh on the screen. So they use, they're called silk, silk screens for anyone that doesn't know about priming. Mm. Um, they used to be silk. Um, and then, again, the weave of the silk um, determined how much ink can come through. Um, they're not silk anymore. They're um, uh, polyester material, I think. Nylon, yeah. So, and then they they have varying mesh widths and um, mm. so the, depending on the gauge of the mesh, um, the result you know is is different. So, um, something that you want to print on paper, you do with a kind of a 90, 120 mesh screen, and um, for me, I'm printing on. Um, textile at the minute most often and those screens so I have a mixture of different screens but those screens are generally around you know kind of 60 I have some that are 40 something and you know mm. but then I have a whole load of tiny little screens this size that I take to the workshops that I teach um, and people hand cut stencils and blow me away with what okay. they've never done it before you know you show them the basics of how this works and then they draw out this amazing picture and they cut out with a scalpel that they've never used in their lives before their um their, their paper paper stencil and put it onto the screen and they leave with you know something amazing. And I'm I'm always wow. there. 
It's taken me to get to this point. You've just come in for the first time to workshop, you're able to do it. Um, but yeah, so I've got loads of little screens. Mm. Um, they're, they're getting worn out. Um, so I am going to need to reinvest and, you know. Mm. And do you enjoy the teaching process then, Renee? Do you like that? Yeah, I do. And I think it's really, yeah. I think that, um, you know, I grew up in a place where, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that this is what workshops are for. They're not, workshops are not just for kind of the democratization of, of art. You know, they're, they're not, anyone can attend workshops from, um, you know, even established artists attend workshops that other people are running. Um, but from my point of view, um, you know, having had no exposure um, to creative processes and, and things like printmaking, I mean, word printmaking, I never heard it until I was maybe 23, you know, 20, yeah. 20, you know. So, um, you know, you just didn't know. I didn't know about these things. I didn't know mm. um, a, a whole lot of, um, the the arts and the creative sector and stuff. Yeah. So I think doing the workshops. I mean, people know a lot more about everything now than we did when we were, you know, when I was in my. Thanks uh, to Google. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the internet is amazing, but mm. um, I think teaching workshops, you get some, you get so much back um, from people. And you, and it reminds you of how much you know. Um, mm. if you're feeling, I think, if you're feeling a bit like, oh, I'm not good enough, or mm. why would anyone want me to teach them anything? Sure, what I know. Mm. Go ask people who've never done the thing before, and you'll suddenly remember or realize, okay, I do know. You know, mm. I, you know, like even how someone puts a screen on top of a piece of paper you know you need there needs to be a little bit of a gap you know it's little things mm. like that that you know and you have them all prepped and ready and you know but they would never know and you're just passing on the tiniest little bits of information that can help them go from not being able to do the thing to being able to do the thing you know mm. I enjoy that I really enjoy passing on kind of information and I'm very I yeah I do especially when mm. um because kids are so funny and, you know, they are so straightforward and they say the most inappropriate things and so cunning and, you know, they don't pull back with, no, I think yours is rubbish or, you know, yeah. I quite like working with kids, but also with adults who are having a new experience. You know, I really like working with people who who are having some kind of a, um, an enlightenment you know, mm. when you're there in the room and they've come to the class because they're having problems at work or maybe a mm. grief or something and they've come just to change their focus and, you know, and they get to learn a new skill and, you know, and you're the person helping them learn that thing. It's really nice. It's really, mm. um, I yeah, I really do enjoy it. And I really enjoy the fact that, you know, I'm not enjoying the fact I should say at the minute that I can't do it because it it is it was my primary source of income. Yeah, it's tricky for a lot of people. Yeah. So, 
from that point of view, from that, you know, within that element of my work. So mm. uh, I, you know, it's not that, um, it, you know, it's, it's okay to be earning money from that as well. And mm. an artist or a maker, you know, it's, and it, and it makes up a huge bulk of, you know, where, where your annual income comes from. So um, it's a necessity as well as an enjoyable process. Mm. I think multiple streams of income for artists is, is always a good thing, you know, yeah. um, you know, varying different ways to, you know, make money through your, through your, like make a living through what you're actually doing from many streams, I think is really the key to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, Renee, on that, um, would you have, so obviously you've come from very different backgrounds to the creative backgrounds and from somebody who then went into creativity would you have any advice to give to somebody who is looking for a bit of a change or wanting to do something different what would you say would be the startings of somebody who wants to get into being more creative that may have never dabbled in anything like that I think anybody that's thinking about doing something can you know if, if they want to get messy get into you know anything that involves ink is pretty messy um mm. and and if you'd rather get into music or you know those kind of things go to a recording studio you know hire it for an hour sing into a microphone you know don't be afraid you i think the no rules thing i'll come back to that there are no rules there's no rules mm. to a recording studio you don't have to be an established artist to go in and start singing into a microphone and have yourself recorded and you just mm. pay your time and then you go and do it and the same with art and um, classes and courses and you know at the Belfast Print Workshop we we have courses that are open to everyone and um, membership mm. to everyone membership is open to people who um, have at least one um, are competent in at least one technique within printmaking um, mm. courses are open to anyone whether they mm. or or even used a pen and drawn a pen and ink drawing it doesn't matter anyone can come to them. And I think most arts venues and studios offer that. Um, so I think it's that there are no rules and you can come mm. and you can go and do these things and try classes, try courses, try renting a studio space. Um, you know, just do it um, mm. and don't worry about it. And and there's no wrong. You can't be, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So what's next for you, Renee? What's uh, what's in the pipelines for you? Um, well, I'm going to launch this kind of collection of work towards the end of this year. Mm. We're, now, we're now in October. Mm -hmm. um, and Still loads of time. Loads of time to do it, yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, I know that it's, it's, this sounds weird, but <laughs> redoing and relaunching, well, having a website for our landscape architecture firm you know we've had a whole page for a long time but we haven't actually ever had a website how people think you have to have a website to be in business these days mm -hmm. you, know, you just have to be yeah. doing a good job and other people will then know that you did a good job and they'll come back and ask you to do some more stuff however uh, back to the celebrating everything aspect we've decided to get a website and designing mm -hmm. the website more i was going to work with another um uh, someone else to, to who does web design um, mm. yeah, but actually the templates and everything have moved on so much so that I'm able to do them 
and I've done our other websites previously, my own Kiln and Loom and all those things. Um, mm. So I'm I'm doing a website for Mullen and I'm doing a website for Placed at the minute, and they are in themselves kind of. Um, that's full time already. Like that's already yeah. full time. Yeah. It's engaging me from a design and creativity perspective, and I'm mm. actually enjoying that process. And you know, we're okay. doing a brand mark for Mullen as well, and we're mm. just that as well and you know I actually really enjoy that aspect of things too so many people see doing the website and logos and branding and all that kind of thing as a nightmare um mm. I really enjoy that aspect of it too so um, that's going to take me another two weeks I think to finish writing all the copy and we're just waiting for photographs to come from the photographer that we've engaged um to get those online and you know up and running uh, so then once the place site is finished, I have I've applied for funding from the Arts Council here in the north for a project that I want to work on in the early part of next year. But whether or not I get the funding will determine whether or not I can do it. Yeah, do it. it will mean me going into my studio and being in my studio and and also it will involve doing more of this kind of online stuff and talking to people and maybe delivering online um uh, classes so mm. um you know I have really missed the teaching aspect of what I'm doing and mm. doing any of that it's going to have to be possibly going to have to be online unless um you know we can relax the rules around or work out the space kind of um you know how I'm teaching classes sometimes involves me having to go over physically and help the person pull the print so how that can happen going forward, I don't know, you know, mm. um, but how we can do these things online and, and separate um, with social distancing and these things. That's what I'm trying to work through at the minute so that I know mm. what I offer. Um, but yeah, so that and then working on collections. So I'm, I'm doing the one that I'm at at the minute. And then um, next year, I'll have another couple of um things to do I the book that I did had two books following it planned sketched yeah. out and that was in 2013 and we're now in 2020 and I still haven't done those wow um, that's yeah. exciting though that you can still there's still two more there to like having your own book is significant isn't it you know so yeah. I'm, I'm not going to make myself think that I'm going to do both of them, but I think I might try in 2021 and get one of them done. Brilliant. Well, so, I look forward to seeing that. That would be... Yeah. Well, me too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. It will depend on if someone wants to, you know, give me an advance and produce the book because that, you know, I, that's what happened the last time. It has to be the same thing this time. I couldn't have, I couldn't do that myself. I would have yeah. to, you know, it has to be commissioned. So um, I need to go back to my publisher or or find a new publisher and, and see. Mm. Well, we'll watch this space then, Renee. And I think you're right. I think um, for lots of creatives and artists within the industry, they're going to have to just be more creative about things going forward like classes and all that kind of stuff and I think we're just going to have to work around or see as you said like a lot of online things and and with that comes a lot of change and a lot of figuring new ways out of doing things as well so 
But I wish you all the best with it all, Renee, and I look forward to seeing how it all pans out and uh, what next and where your um, designs with linen, what that, where that takes you as well. Um, where can people find you then, Renee, if they're looking well, for you online? Well, <clears throat> launched in a few weeks' time. Um, mm -hmm. We'll say November, just to be safe. Yeah. Okay. Um, so placed at the minute, it's it's old and tired, but it's there. Placed.ie. Um, yeah. Uh, but going forward, it will it will link you to all of the things that I'm doing. Um, okay. And. Yeah, so, and then work will be available to buy on there as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, place.ie is, is okay. where I'm at. Yeah. And then Instagram as well. People can find you at Renee Mullen. Mullen. Yeah, is it? yeah Renee Mullen. There we okay. go. That's yeah. it. Me, yeah. So, that Instagram, I was late to the game with the Instagram thing. I only started Instagram in 2015, I think, or, um, and, I, and only because I had a shop at the time. And one of the girls that worked in the shop was like, why are we not on Instagram? Um, yeah. On the Instagram. And then I started following loads of accounts on it that I love, just me personally, never mind the shop. Yeah. Um, so then I had a placed Instagram a couple of years after that. I started placed Instagram. And then I realized all the people I really like following are on the other one. Um, yeah. So I moved it all over to Renee Mullen. Um, so the placed one doesn't work. There is nothing happening on it anymore. But what I was going to say about Instagram is, there seems to be this kind of idea that if you have more followers than you follow, then, you know, that's the cool thing. I want to see new yeah. stuff every single time I switch the thing on. And yeah. I'm trying to find accounts to follow all the time. Because the more you look yeah. at what other people are doing, the more excited you feel about what you can be doing yourself. So I love Instagram. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with Instagram. I'm a rubbish Instagram user. I don't do the, you know, I don't stick to the kind of a, the stats rules that you post at this time and you tell them this. Ah, oh, no, me neither, yeah. I'm the same. Like, I'm just like, like what you were saying about the no rules. I don't care about how many followers, how many people I follow or anything like that. You know, I just think, yeah, I think you do it because you love it or you do it because you want to see what other people are doing or you want to showcase your own work and yeah. I don't post at certain times I post whenever sometimes I post low sometimes I post nothing yeah. I think yeah you just I think it's also changed quite a lot from it what it was maybe and so yeah and it'll just, just use it in the way that you want yeah it'll continue to change and evolve and we have to move with it so, you know exactly yeah, I remember the first time someone posted a story thinking, water stories ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, well, I know. Only doing stories nearly, you know. Anyway. I know. And now I'm always doing stories. I think it's one of the best ways to communicate. If you don't want to be, like the wording I find difficult and stuff like that. So I, I find it easier just to communicate just yeah. through rambles and through day to day, really. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. See where it takes us. Thank you so yeah. much. Really well, thanks a million for coming on, Renee, and it's been lovely to hear a bit about your process and stuff, and um, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. You too. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye.